0: swords it's truly illegal dad's with swords dad's with swords it just shouldn't happen dad's with swords and welcome back to dad's with swords after a long somewhat unintentional hiatus uh so it's uh we're actually recording inside a van right now um Brian Brandt and uh we have a guest today. We've got Barry Keys, who is the senior instructor for the Ironwood Sword School, which is our primary sword school right now. Hi Barry. Hi guys. How's it going? Pretty good. So we just had pretty fun class. Uh we're getting ready how how old are you turning, Barry, if you don't mind saying it on the twenty one? Twenty one, okay. <laughs> fifty five. So Barry's turning fifty five soon and we're gonna have some uh, some birthday bouts at our cutting event our longsword cutting event uh, in the fall um next weekend actually so we've just been doing some sparring in class to try to warm up for for some of that Two up fights yeah two up fights exactly uh, but yeah it's it's been good i mean brandt has been i think keeping up a little bit more with longsword than i have i've had a crazy work schedule last little while and missed a bunch of classes i had a couple solo uh classes with robert uh, i think not the last three. I think I skipped a week as well, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just one of those things where life's get in the way. So, um, we had a couple of things. I, I mean, I, I promised myself when we started this podcast, we're going to have this running list of questions and every time we have a guest, we're going to ask these questions and now we didn't do it. But, <laughs> uh, but I, I remember some of the questions. Do you Barry remember the very first time in your life that you saw a sword and was like, yeah, that's a cool thing. I'm going to, I'm going to get into that. Uh, No. No? It was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah? Been a pretty much ever-present thing? Yeah. Yeah, I think that that probably tracks with most of us. How long have you been doing... I I mean, we always struggle with the definition of HEMA, but how long have you been practicing sword work with intention, like specifically studying from a manual, trying to have a a real style that you're developing? Oh, HEMA I've been doing for about 15 years. Okay.
1: And i done martial arts my whole adult life.
0: Oh, yeah? What, what did you do before starting HEMA? I don't think we've ever had that conversation. Oh no.
1: Well, I started with Judo.
0: Then Karate. Right. Then Taekwondo. Then Aikido. Then Krav Maga. Oh, so really got around. Yeah. And did you jump right to Longsword when you started doing HEMA stuff? Was there anything you had interest in? Before no, I,
1: I went straight to Longsword.
0: Yeah, and Funny enough, I was going
1: to do Italian. Oh, yeah? Because there was... I I saw that the Fiore manual was more beginner-oriented. Right. But it was very ambiguous. Okay. And the German system just said, take your sword, stick him in the face, hit him in the head. (laughs) Right. Go have a beer. And I like beer a lot. (laughs) But uh, the German system is more straightforward. It's not for beginners, but it tells you what to do except for footwork right which is if you think about it it's pretty self-explanatory
0: yeah well, i know way that's, you want to go that's one of the things you've kind of harped on us from from the very beginning is to you know practice footwork but stop obsessing over it in the midst of a technique and just do the footwork that makes sense in the context
1: yes uh like we've been saying for a while now the german system is principle driven right that means the basic principle is own the center, but, you know, if you got to go to the outside, you go to the outside. Then you take the center back. So it doesn't matter how you get there. There's techniques you can use, and some techniques are better than others. Right. But the principle is take the center, stab the gun.
0: You make it sound so simple. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it, 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 it's simple, but it's not easy. Right. That's a okay. good way to put it.
0: Simple but not easy. I remember that one. Um do you have any weapons, whether swords or otherwise that you really wanna do more training with that you just haven't had a chance to? I'd like to do uh more messer training. Yeah.
1: Well, we haven't done any in class, that doesn't mean I haven't practiced by myself. Sure, yeah. But you you can only do so many strikes and stuff on a pal, you gotta have a training partner yeah. to do that with. And Messer is kinda like kinda like saber. Right. It has the the same wrist movements and roly poly stuff. Yeah, But it's more uh, grappling oriented than right.
0: Sabre is. Yeah. Sabre seemed to lose a lot of that at a certain well, at least at the point when a lot of people were writing manuals. Well that's because <coughs>
1: and this is just me thinking, but they basically took Scottish Heritage and threw it out the window. Yeah, and so all the infighting techniques that you would that you see in German Messer right, aren't in saber. Yeah, it's all fly in, fly out. Where the German is fly in, stay in, and kill the guy.
0: Yeah, then go have a beer. I was always really interested. Um, I started reading Hutton's saber manual, and I mean, he goes through a lot of the sort of generic saber of that mid eighteen hundreds period. But then he starts to chase things back a little bit and he says, oh, you know, we don't do this stuff like they used to do, like the old fencing masters used to do. And he has a couple of like grapples and sword takings that seem to be lost in a lot of the other sabre manuals. I know Brant and I have been um, focusing a little bit on uh, Angelo's sabre on the 1845 Infantry Sabre Manual. And I mean, your hand just kind of gets firmly planted on your hip and stays there for the fight as far as Angelo's concerned.
1: But in real life doesn't. yeah <laughs> and the, where you would go for those techniques is back to german messer
0: yeah so are you reading mostly like le kuchner that's the only messer one that i really spent any time reading at all. yes
1: yeah le kuchner has uh two or three two 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 books for sure mm-hmm. and the second one is the first one is more like his thoughts right where he was working stuff out the second one is this is what works yeah like and he was a longsword master as well right so he took a lot of stuff from Lichtenauer and applied it to a single blade. Along with a lot of grappling.
0: Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm interested in Messer 2, I always wanted to, to give that a shot. I like I I don't know, I've always intellectually at least, liked the idea of a two handed sword, like that's always stuck with me as that's that's the way to go. But the more I learn single handed stuff, the more I find that's really fun too. Yeah. Not necessarily more fun, but more fun than I thought it was.
1: Well, I like single-hand stuff. I, I trained with, well, I can't really say I trained with Jake. I fought Jake a lot single-hand stuff, and he uh, did his Scottish broadsword. Right. Which is Angelo?
0: Yeah, Angela yeah. as well.
1: And I just, you know,
0: winged it. Yeah. And I kind of held my own. Yeah, that's good. I mean, once you know the basics of fighting with a sword, I feel like you can pick up any sword and not, at least not look like an idiot. Yeah, doesn't mean you're going to be a complete master, but well, like mechanically, things are similar. It's just there's varying degrees from system to system. Yeah, you, you okay. take the
1: pointy end, you <laughs> stick it in the bad guy.
0: Brand, you say, did you ever do Jake's class? Jake? No. Jake no. Hodgson teaches a broadsword class here in Kingston. Yeah. For anyone who's listening from outside of Kingston, no. The only thing um, I think I participated in one of his demos there at the library. Oh that's yeah, that's he, right. He really did it. But I, I know that you were saying like it's it's more militarized very, like, line infantry-based. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it seems to be the same with the, uh, the Angelo Sabre manual. The idea is, like, you get a bunch of recruits in a line, you teach them how to throw these pets, you teach them how to throw these guards, and you drill it all day, and then say, there you go, you know how to use a sword. Yeah. yeah. It'd be, like, bayonet training, I guess, in forces. Mm. Yeah. No, do it for a day, and there you go. Stick them with a the end. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, Messer is <laughs> great, too, because we are a German school, and that's kind of the German single-handed weapon, so... Yeah. I always just like I I don't know if the medieval Germans were joking around when they said this, but I always like the translation of messer because it's lang messer is typically the one that's being used, and it's just long knife.
1: Yeah, yeah and that's
0: basically all it is. is yeah. a twenty twenty five inch knife. I just always wonder if those medieval Germans kind of had the crocodile Dundee thing going on, that's, where someone no, no, from no, I... yeah someone from outside of Germany would show them a knife and they go uh-uh, I got a knife yeah. Well, I think wasn't it used day to day like you would take it hunting, you take it like everywhere with you, right? It was always one well, person. In
1: medieval Europe, everybody wasn't allowed to carry a sword. Right. Right. But everybody could carry a knife. Right. Right. And so they would, you know, just like people play the game now. Yeah. Wow, well, I got a knife too. It just happens to be as long as a short sword. Right. So there you go. That's where a messer comes
0: from. Well, I guess that makes sense. What's that big uh there's, like, a two-handed variant of the Messer, too, right? Oh, the Krieg, Krieg Messer. Measure. Yeah. It always looks like something out of a fantasy novel, just this big two-handed curved yeah. sword. Well, anybody. it looks like a katana, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. For anybody who's on YouTube. Uh, Skalagrim, the YouTuber, that's all he... That's his, like, sword of choice. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't watch enough of his videos. He's, um... Did you ever watch any of Skalagrim's videos? I stopped watching them. Many, many ago. Yeah, he's be- kind of before been before he
1: moved out of BC.
0: Yeah, he's kind of been hailed as like the perfect YouTuber for someone who doesn't know anything about hema to sit down and watch because he's definitely not an idiot. He's not an expert. He doesn't, you know, focus on the the intricacies that some of the other hema YouTubers I mean if you're watching like uh Matt, Matt Easton's channel or whatever, he's going to go really in depth into history and techniques, but Scholargram seems to be really good for someone who like a doesn't player. know. Yeah. 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 Yeah, he's a little bit more sensational sometimes. I like watching his... Uh, do you ever see any of the ones he does? He goes to the shooting range out in Victoria with all his black powder weapons? Yeah. No, I've uh, never seen them. That's that. kind of neat to watch, because he's got a nice collection of little black powder pistols and a couple of muskets, and I'll go out and shoot them at the range. I imagine it's the range out on uh, the Malahat there for anyone who's ever been to Victoria. Only to get What's that?
1: Only for drinking.
0: Oh, yeah? <laughs> Oh yeah, you said you were out in Victoria while you were in the you were in the military for a
1: while. Yeah, yeah. And I worked out in Victoria, not Victoria, Vancouver. Okay. With Bombardier right? For five
0: or six months. Yeah. Uh, another thing that Barry does, um, particularly with Ironwood, but I mean outside of the school as well. Uh, but Barry is the the armorer for the school and does a lot of armoring work outside as well. Um, So if you've seen any of the pictures and stuff that brands posted, if you see somebody wearing metal in any of the pictures of us doing stuff, it's probably been made by Barry Um, and also the aluminum sword trainers that we use. And that's something we talked briefly when we talked about training materials. We went a little bit into why we use aluminum swords. But if we've got you on here. You're probably the one to set, like, to, to really definitively say what's the biggest benefit or what are the biggest benefits of using aluminum trainers. The defense of the aluminum weight. Oh. yeah. Like-
1: uh, they handle more like real steel swords than blunt steel swords, basically. Right. They uh they they get dinged up a little quicker than a well a lot quicker than a steel sword does, and they're softer, so they actually stick momentarily when swords make contact, like real swords do. Right. And they're, uh, for doing pairs drilling and stuff, they're a lot stiffer than the, the the fetters or any other steel swords that you use for training. Because <laughs> I don't make them to be super safe in the thrust. I make them to handle like a real sword. Right. So that's why we don't, you know. Go all out with them. Go all out with them because like a real
0: sword, kind of, yeah. you're going to get really hurt if you get thrust good. I remember you first telling me that when we, like well, the first time I picked up an aluminum sword, or maybe it was Robert, because I don't know if you were out for those first two classes uh, of the school. Um, and I didn't really get it at first, because you play with a blunt steel, and you play with the aluminum, and you kind of feel a difference, but it seems so minor. And the way that everyone talks about swords sticking together, it seems like they're supposed to just stick and never come apart. Yeah. But recently there's been, um, I think Blood and Iron did, a, did one recently where they sparred with sharps, but wearing protective gear. Because prior to that, most of the people who were showing off sparring with sharps were trying to show how scary it is to have a sharp sword coming at you. And they were showing how much their technique changes because they're not wearing protective gear and there's a sharp blade. And as a result, they were playing really slow and careful. And Blood and Iron took the opposite angle and they said, we want to know how the sharp swords behave. Not how people behave yeah, when the yeah. sharp swords involve physical characteristics. So they wear all, wore all of their protective gear. So they knew even if a cut gets through, it's not going to kill me. It's going to, you know, wreck the gear that I'm wearing and that's about it. And what they found is that they stick, but nowhere near as much as people were claiming that they do. And now I kind of get it with the aluminums. Like there's a little bit of stick there. It's not crazy. It's not like you can't, you know, do techniques or slide the swords along. But there's definitely just that little bit more resistance when you go to do windings and things like that.
1: Well, I think that's what makes the windings and stuff work.
0: Mm-hmm. When the sto-
1: the swords stick together a little bit, you can feel what the guy's going to do. With a slippery, blunt fetter, yeah. they just slide all over the place. Yeah. And you can't really do a period technique against somebody who's trying to do other period techniques because the swords just don't play as well together right they, they don't act like a real sword would so that's basically why i started making aluminum trainers instead of steel trainers mm. and you know there's tons of steel trainers out there
0: yeah absolutely doesn't seem to be as many aluminum there's more i see more and more groups that use aluminum for a variety of reasons but there's not a lot of resources to get those aluminum trainers out there Okay, well, we're jammed in a van right now, so I'm having a hard time thinking about what else to talk about. What did you think of, uh, I was, today while we were practicing, I'm getting ready for um, uh, an event that the uh, the Dog Brothers put on, and I'll post some information about the Dog Brothers on the website when I post this episode, rather than trying to ramble off stuff that's probably not accurate right now. Uh, but they host this charity event every year called Beat the Crap Out of Cancer, just primarily a stick-fighting event. So I decided to register for that this year. So when we were doing sparring today, I thought, well, I'll try playing with stick against swords, so I can get used to doing stick against a variety of different weapons. That was pretty. Was that your first time seeing like the shillelagh fighting that, that Max teaches the uh, style? Yeah, I think yeah. it was. And it uh,
1: looks pretty. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm not super boned up on stick fighting because right. that's not my ballywhack. Uh, it seemed to be effective. It would be super effective against another stick.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely more effective when you don't have to worry about getting
1: cut. Yeah, like, it, I don't think it would be as uh, lethal
0: as a sword. No, no, probably not. Some of the um, the period shillelies, though, they're all made of black thorn, and they leave a lot of the thorns along the shaft of the, the shilleley. So you might have a little gap, or maybe you just got used to holding it, so you have your hand kind of wrapped around some of these thorns. There are definitely like sharp wooden thorns that would be coming out. And Max said, um, if I remember correctly, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong the next time you're on the podcast, Max, uh, they have a, a ferrule at the, the bottom, right? Like a little brass cap you see on like yeah. a walking stick. And the further back in time you go, the longer and the sharper that ferrule gets on shillelaghs. So if you look at like a 19th century shillelagh, it might just be a little brass cap. But you go back to a 17th century one, and it might not even be brass. It might be iron, and it's a three-inch spike at the bottom of the shillelagh. Now it So there's definitely some <laughs> some lethality at work. Uh, and there was one technique, too, that I remember Max showing us. Once you've got the guy on the ground, you just do this big sweeping strike with both hands and go for the, the skull crack. That would definitely work. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting it, – it's particularly interesting with the shillelagh because they're all uh, – where a lot of the techniques survived because of the faction fights that happened in Ireland through the you know, 17th all the way into the 19th century. So you had these like groups of people you know they form factions. I don't know if they were family or political affiliations or what the main dividing lines were and they go out in the street and fight with these sticks. and there's records of the court cases and you could see you know a judge handling two court cases in a day, one in which there was a knife fight and somebody got killed and the person who killed him was the most vile, despicable person that judge had ever seen, deserving of the worst punishment available. And then you see a stick fight, and someone was beaten to death over the course of half an hour, and the judge will say, oh, it was all in good fun. It's just a stick fight. It's just a stick fight. It's a little faction fight. Um, I guess uh, at least an hour's time, um, a lot of longsword fighting would have been judicial duels, at least the, the style that we do, the unarmored yeah, longsword been- fighting.
1: Like it would have been specifically for judicial duels, but you can see where there's um, Lichtenauer would have taught the king's bodyguards or some rich duke's bodyguards, right? He he didn't teach beginners, yeah. You would have already been a good sword fighter just to even be looked at by Lichtenauer,
0: yeah, or really rich. I feel like that's probably true of a lot of the people whose manuals have survived. I'm sure there were lots of manuals written for maybe not lots, but maybe there were some manuals written for beginners that just didn't didn't last because it's such basic information. Why do you keep that book as an heirloom?
1: Yeah. Um, Fiore stuff is for beginner rate up to a good swordsman. hours right. kind of <laughs> takes off of there. Mm. And this is kind of borne out for me that I think that the Lichtenauer stuff is totally made to counter not Fiore's system but the common sword fighting system of the time which is parry Riposte fighting and and that's where our own the center stuff comes from Mm. uh, because it seems to me that most of the Fiore fighters that we go against, that I've gone against anyway as soon as the blades make contact they automatically go to the other side Right. Or or do something. They don't try to stay in the center. They just try to deflect your blade enough so that you're off center, and then they can do something. So, so But they don't worry about staying on center like right. they
0: do. Now, parry repost fencing, just for the layman, is like someone swings at you with a sword. You stop that hit. That's your parry. And then you try to do another cut, and that's the riposte. Like That's kind of what you mean, is it's just that... Like that movie-style sword fight of the swords clash and then one, they swing, and, two, clash and, one, they swing two, and clash and
1: they yeah, swing and two, clash. One. Well it it and like the, the later saber fighting mm-hmm. is like that. Uh rapier isn't so much like that, but when you get into the sport fencing aspect of it, it becomes totally like that. Right. Um really rapier is a lot like two-handed longsword.
0: Yeah, you were saying something actually right before we turned the mic on that you've got sort of a growing theory that rapier grew almost directly out of longsword.
1: Um, yeah, kind of did, because I'm, I'm finding that all the Lichtenauer techniques are, even though he says do this and then do that, mm. it's do this, do that. Right. Without a break in between. So they're, they're almost single-time techniques. And if you do them quick enough, they become single-time techniques. Uh, and rapier is all single-time stuff. Yeah. At least from what I can see, I'm not a rapier guy by any means, but you don't push the guy's tip offline and then come back in, you push his tip
0: offline while you're going in. Right. I had um, a random, completely uneducated thought while we were discussing this earlier. I wonder if, uh, you know, like you look at the manuscript and you look at the way things are written, and like you say, it's written as if it's like, you know, you got to do this, and then you do this, but in a fight it all kind of happens at once. I almost wonder if that manuscript was being written that way intentionally and drawn that way intentionally because it's too hard to explain the single time action. It's really hard to draw a single time action, but it's easy to draw. Okay, you move the sword over here, and then the sword comes over here. And in our early (coughs) days, that's the way we did it. Right.
1: And quite frankly, we sucked. But over the last five or six years... Since I've changed everything up to be more single timey, mm. we don't suck anymore. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, I've I've uh, noticed a huge difference. Uh, honestly, even just the last few weeks, um, as we started to move towards, you know, playing more with the blade in the center already. Um, you know, even if it's not super realistic at the start of the fight for training purposes, to start with sort of the blades already centered and be playing around the middle is. Uh, it's really enlightening. Really feel a lot more of, of what you're trying to say about owning the center that I don't think I got when we were just, you know, going from bomb tag through an overhow and then
1: Yeah. Well bomb tag really isn't a, a position to fight from. Right. Like yeah, I I personally just think it's a good teaching position. Yeah. And other guys that are teachers think the same thing. That it's it's a good place to teach Stuff from throw a zorn into this right. and then do something, but in a fight you don't stay in bomb tag because one, it's it's not a good guard of defense mm-hmm. Un- unless you're out of distance. You know you could put your sword on the ground, right? Not that you would, but you're out of distance, so you're not at any threat. Um, keeping your sword in ox or flug or even langenort is greater deterrent. And to put your sword that much closer to your opponent. Right. That you can you can still throw an over how from any of those guards, or an under how or a mid <coughs> how or zwerch or anything. From any of those guards. It might take longer from certain ones depending on your distance and what guard the other guy's in. Right. But you you want to keep your sword in front of you. It. Yeah. It's your shield. If your sword's behind you, you've got to bring it past your center line your side center line right? To it even be, start becoming a threat to the guy if you've got your sword tip pointing backwards for any reason it's not a super duper deterrent to your
0: opponent so do you think the like, prevalence of Vom Tag in sort of early instruction is it because it's just easier to hold for longer periods of time or is it really a misinterpretation that lots of people think that Vom Tag is something you should be fighting from
1: uh, well, some of the masters say that Vomtag is a good guard to rest in. Right. And it is a good guard to rest in when you're out of distance. Right. Just like any guard. Like, you, Albert is a perfect guard to rest in out of distance because you're not a, a threat from your other guy, and you're not threatening him in any way either. Yeah. Vomtag is a good place to throw overhouse from. Right. Because your sword's already up on your shoulder.
0: Yeah, I guess that, um, I guess that also uh, makes it a pretty good guard for, like, a beginner. Um, you're doing a beginner class because then...
1: Uh, yeah, everybody's yeah, everybody ready gets to, to rest throw an over-out. Or a
0: middle. Or an underhound. Or a, a... geahawd, whatever. Yeah. Um, well, actually, Brant's got to run right now, and I'm just looking at the time. We we're really only going to go for another four or five minutes anyway, so maybe we'll just cut this one short for now yeah, and sure. let you Brant part one? Let take okay. off out of here and... Um, definitely enlightening I'm thinking of all the questions I was going to ask and we, we pretty much caught them all so yeah well I mean next week it might be fun because I think if Aaron's willing to do some recording maybe we can pit you and Aaron side by side with the microphone you can argue Fure versus, versus Italian yeah.
1: that might not be the best idea <laughs> <Grand> <laughs> oh we
0: don't give a shit it's fine we've got what like uh, two dozen listeners and
1: wow yeah
0: I'm a celebrity like friend, you're a celebrity friends yeah. and
1: family more or less yeah I guess for everybody uh, Barry, you're a dad with a sword, or you're not? I am a dad with a sword. I'm a dad with
0: a sword. I'm also a dad with a sword. So that's a really good dads with swords podcast. you didn't even have a mom with swords now. Take that, Krista. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, hopefully we'll see everybody next week and hopefully we'll be recording more regularly from now on. But yeah. no promises.
1: <laughs>
0: Bye everyone.